What is up, Bitcoiners? It is CK, and I am here with an absolutely fantastic podcast. I had the absolute pleasure of sitting across from Hong Feng, the CEO of OKCoin, and we just talked Bitcoin. Hong really, really understands the fundamental issues that Bitcoin is here to solve, and you know she has a very good understanding of how and why Bitcoin is the ideal way to solve it. She has, after taking leadership at OKCoin, in my opinion, done an absolutely fantastic job of leading the organization, of aligning the organization as much as possible with Bitcoin. And it is just an absolute blast getting to hear her riff and talk about Bitcoin, explain why it's important, explain what is wrong with the current system and why Bitcoin quote unquote fixes this. I think you guys are going to absolutely love this conversation. But before we get into it, I want to tell you about the Bitcoin 2021 conference. You guys, Bitcoin 2021 is the hottest event of this year. It is going to be absolutely jam-packed with the movers and shakers of the Bitcoin space. We have Michael Saylor. We have Jack Dorsey. We have Nick Zabo. We have Tony Hawk, who, little do you know, he's been riding this Bitcoin wave since 2016. And y'all, it, it doesn't end there. I mean, Mayor Suarez from Miami, the great, great political leader who is really pushing the envelope on freedom as well as Bitcoin adoption in government, you know, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Things are just getting started. You know, we are less than 90 days away and this event's going to sell out and we are going to be announcing a lot of awesome speakers. So do not wait. Make sure that you're in Miami June 3rd, 4th and 5th and make sure to get your tickets today at b.tc backslash conference. And guess what? Because you're listening to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast, you get 10% off if you use code Satoshi. So don't leave those sats on the table. Make sure you use code Satoshi. Save yourself 10% off. And yeah, guys, Bitcoin 2021, you're not going to want to miss this one. All right, that's enough from me. Let's get into this fantastic conversation with Hong Feng. Bitcoiners, I am sitting across across screen from Hong Feng, the CEO of OKCoin. Hong and I have gotten to know each other over the past like month or so, and we just had a really, really awesome conversation on Clubhouse last night about OKCoin and a lot of the different changes that they're making to the product and why. I was really, really impressed by that conversation, Hong, in particular. A lot of the things that you were saying really validated, you know, my view on the Bitcoin space. And, you know, I, truthfully, I, I have to say, I, I've been really impressed with what you've been doing at OKCoin as well. But I guess I just wanted to get started by saying, where were you when you discovered Bitcoin? Like, what were you doing? What kind of set you up to understand it? Because, you know, I, I just listening to you last night, I feel like you really do align with, you know, the ethos of Bitcoin, and you really understand it. Yeah. So I actually spent eight years on Wall Street uh, on the investment banking side. I work with Goldman. I was actually in financial institutions group. So, you know, the, 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 the center of the legacy system, if you will. And then after, after eight years, I joined Goldman in 2008, right around that chaotic period when white paper was <laughs> created on the heel of which uh, white paper was created. And then after Goldman, I uh, did growth investment for three years. And that was actually when I got into Bitcoin uh, in 2016. I got to 
I got to know Star, who founded OKCoin, and I got to know about OKCoin back then. And I started to look into it. Obviously, the platform was doing great, and obviously the business was doing great. Uh, it was one the, the biggest platform in in China doing crypto trading against uh, Chinese yuan. But you know, from a business investment perspective, I, I was you know hoping to understand what's really driving it. Is it just speculation, or is there something deeper there? And uh, ultimately, I made the decision of investing because I think there's something deeper, just more than speculation. That's kind of what's going on. So, and uh, I think you know, I, I and and Christian, thank you for inviting me yesterday uh, to the clubhouse conversation. I think it's you know it's great to to listen to other people's point of view and kind of share what we are thinking. I think when when we think about you know Bitcoin versus the the current system. I had a conversation with Michael Saylor a while ago. I uh, invited him over for for fireside chat, and I was asking him when he was sitting in the boardroom trying to convince his board members and CFOs about making Bitcoin investment using his treasury money. What was the biggest challenge that he was facing? And I think what he said echoed with me a lot, which is that the challenge was really educating people. Changing their mental framework—that was the biggest hurdle that one have to actually cross to be able to see what actually Bitcoin is. Because I think that is, you know, in 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 our educational and professional background, at least in my case, I think there is always this assumption that we operate in the free markets. But even in that free markets, that monetary policy. You know, we we studied macroeconomics uh, in school, right? When it, you know, finance. I went to Chicago Business School, and and that was a school where there are a lot of Nobel winners uh, in economics. And people talk about free markets. Uh, Chicago is a big believer in free markets, but even in in that, you know, domain, when it comes to macroeconomics classes, you know, professors talking about that, nobody ever questioned about central government using monetary policy and fiscal policy to. Moderate the economy and and direct the economy and just the economy to the direction that that officials want them to to go, economics want them to go. That was a huge assumption, but nobody questioned about that. And you know, I actually heard about Bitcoin in 2013 when I was still at Goldman, and I heard from a senior banker, a female banker actually, who was super excited. We were having a A meeting about a deal, and she was just super excited. Just randomly brought up Bitcoin and said, "This is a cool thing that you know the price just gone up." <laughs> Took a look, and it just—I was just too dumb. I didn't pay attention. But even if I did, I probably wouldn't be able to understand it without really overturning the previous assumption that money doesn't have to be controlled by central banks, and it shouldn't be. And we should question why in a free market. Money, which is the real foundation of everything, is centrally planned. And and to be honest, when I was at Goldman in 2008, that was uh, the 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 worst year ever that you can actually got into even some banking because that was the year where everything tumbled down. Everything tumbled down around us. And and I was sitting at my desk, seeing a, a lot of my quote unquote classmates、uh, got moved around, and and.、Uh, A lot of the companies are being affected, and and banks are trying to raise money from investors and from the government, right?、Uh, TARP, T A R P. I don't know if you're aware of that. Still remember that, 
But there was huge money injected by the central bank and fiscal policy to, to try to save the too big to fail institutions. And, you know, I, I, I did smell things are, were not wrong, right? Because, you know, in, in my experience at Goldman, there was a lot of deals happening and, and you see how people are kind of using that financial system, do a lot of financial engineering, but ultimately fundamental matters. But even that fundamental doesn't seem right because the, the price signals seems that, you know, the, the government, when government put a lot of money into it, doesn't really serve the purpose of reinventing the economy. It didn't go to the place where it should be going. And just the asset bubble just keep blowing up. And the reason that we had 2008 problem was because of the money printing back in 2000 with Greenspan. So things didn't smell right to me, but not until I actually dug into Bitcoin in 2016, uh, then I realized, oh, actually... What I've learned all the time, what I have believed in all the time was actually illusion. <laughs> I think that was the biggest hurdle, actually, for people to really understand what it is. And that's also why I think there was a debate about what real Bitcoin is. Uh, is it about store of value? Is it about money? Or is it about payments? Payments was really just a utility on top of that monetary system. And if you don't have the right foundation, you know, everything it's just same old, same old. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, it's it's all about 21 million. I think that's the most important thing here. So you kind of addressed witnessing Goldman, you know, at the depth of the last financial crisis, you know, in 2008 and on. Can you talk a little bit about like the experiences that you had that kind of set you up to understand the issue? And then in 2016, when you actually gave Bitcoin some time of your day and and some proper research that it clicked, like you understood, this is the problem and this is what fixes that. Yeah. In 2008, everything, when everything kind of came to a stop, the only thing that was active was banks, were banks. Banks were suddenly, you know, they, the bank, bank executive wake up in the morning and realize that there were big holes in their balance sheet. There's assets that, you know, were said to be of certain quality and, and was not of that quality. And then there was the risk of bank run, which is basically trust crisis. But underlying that trust crisis is actually not only just liquidity crisis, but also a solvency crisis. The back then, the you know there was a lot of dark blind pool. Basically, you know, investors putting in a lot of money to invest in banks. Actually, two thousand between two thousand eight and two thousand ten was the best time ever for people to invest in bank. And obviously, that's the best time for actually people who actually have a lot of money to invest. Most of the average people don't really have that luxury, right? You were basically struggling. Only the haves have the resources to actually invest in those distressed assets. And those distressed assets were protected by government, by taxpayer money, because the OCC actually step in, uh, the, the banking regulator actually step in. They provide not only not only TARP from the Department of Treasury, but also there was a whole mechanism where the, the government would actually take over the loss and there was stop loss. So that investors in the back banks only get the upside and the, the downside all went to the government and the tax. So I saw a lot of that. And we actually worked on a, a deal, M&A deal for a bank, trying to turn around that bank and find a, a good buyer for them. And we were very close to closing the deal. 
until the last day, the bank regulator came in and said, no, you're not going to do this. We're just going to flip you apart and sell it to investor, PE investor. And PE investor made a huge amount of money by investing in the bank assets in 2000, between 2008 and 2010. And 2010 and 2011 turned out to be the, even for public market investors, the best time ever to invest in a bank. Because that's kind of, you know, from there, you know, the, the, the things going up. I think from, from look now looking back, I think what didn't make sense to me now makes sense to me. Because in a free, for a free market, for if you really want a free market to work, price is the most important signal, right? You need actually to have a price uh, because there's no central planning. And everyone has to have something to look at to know how to allocate their resources, and price is that only signal that will tell everyone, every participant in the market, how to allocate the resources. But that price, the price we are talking about now are nominal prices. It is a reflection of central bank's monetary policy. You know, on the investment banking side, either you're trading or, or you're in the investment banking side, you have to pay attention to Fed policy changes. You have to pay attention to the yield curves. That's the only thing that matters in the market, particularly in disturbing markets. And, and when you do have that price distortion, companies and individuals do, they, we are all incentive-driven creatures and we want to maximize our value, right? So as a result, it's very normal to expect all the liquidity going into the assets, hard assets, equity market, fixed income market, real estate market. And it doesn't really go into those areas where actually you need investment, the infrastructure, the manufacturing, uh, a lot of the, the, the economy that we actually do need investment longer term, but probably don't give you the, the yield that you want in an environment like this. And also that, that division between have and have nots, the us and them, is exacerbated. In 2008, when I joined Goldman, there was a... There was a weird uh, situation where, you know, if I go out, went out for uh, with friends for a party, I don't really, I didn't really want to say I was working for Goldman because it felt like, uh, you know, you were you were the culprit uh, for bringing things down. Even today, we we have Wall Street bats, right? You know, Wall Street guys are really bad guys. But but you know, f- f- what I th- think was wrong is not like, you know, don't let's not blame one side or the other. It's really the system. When the system and the incentive was set up that way, it's normal that people you have organizations and peoples who set up a trade and pursuit incentive. That's also what make Bitcoin system so beautiful because everyone is pursuing their interest and because the system is set up right, so that everyone when they maximize their interest, we all stand up and, and defend the system. And that's also what makes the system more anti-agile. Uh, so I think that also, you know, is, is very interesting. And, and then also, I always believe in free markets. And I, my educational and personal background, I, I was born in China. I grew up in China in an area where, in a, in a uh, period where the open up policy was adopted. So I actually witnessed how when you give the give people the power to pursue what they want to do and you give the power back to the market and reduce the power of the government, 
there's a lot of creativity and productivity that can be unleashed. And I, 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 I live through that and, and I always believe in that. And I think that's also why when, you know, we look at 2020, when even today, right, U.S., uh, United States and North America is getting into a very divided society. That us versus them rhetoric is becoming really hard to heal. And I think that there is a, again, that's a, there's a fundamental reason for that because of that system, the legacy system is set up so that if you are on the wrong side of uh, the society, you don't have resources to chase all the asset bubbles. Your, your minimum salary is just, you know, minimum salary. And yes, the, probably your everyday kind of uh, purchase, there's not much inflation just because of all the globalization and you know, some of the technology that's driving the deflation side. But the, where the, the social wealth really accumulates are in real estate, are in you know, stock market. And average people just don't have the means to do that. And they don't have means to, to buy that. And when that kind of deepens, there is this, this emotional stress created between, between different groups of people. I think that's really hard and, and also create deeper dependence on government. And I think the beauty of U.S. is that you know, people believe in self-individual sovereignty, believe in independence, right? If you want to help people, you give them tools instead of giving them cash and increase their dependence on the government. You want to let them have education and give them tools to help uh, earn their future. But, but in the wrong system, it's, you just keep, we just keep going in the wrong direction. It's really hard. So Hong, I want to chime in. A lot to tease out there, but I want to kind of turn it, you know, you're, you're indicating a lot of the issues that are wrong with the current system. And maybe, you know, you're talking to someone who doesn't understand that these issues exist or they don't see how something like Bitcoin can fill those deficits or those holes that are currently present in society. How does, how does Bitcoin fit into this? Like, how does Bitcoin fix this? Can you explain that? Yeah. I mean, Bitcoin is the sound monetary policy, right? When, when we think about what forms the foundation of the society, it's money. Money tells us what we can do. We earn money. We, every one of us have our own value to to create and, and realize. We all want to create our value and realize our value. We buy stuff, we trade stuff. That trading activity has been in our society forever since the inception of human society. And when you have a monetary system that is controlled by an individual organization or government that kind of that takes the sovereignty out of out of us, out of every one of us. That monetary system is not honest, right? The, when the government can actually inflate the money out of your control, out of our control, it's really hard because I earn $100 today and it will be only $80 tomorrow. And then the housing price goes up to $200. <laughs> How am I going to catch up? There's no way for, for, for me to catch up on the individual side, right? So there's that have and have not division will continue to grow if you are on the, the, the wrong side. However, if the monetary system is honest, you know, I earn $100, I can probably save a little because I now know I can save because I know that the money will not deflate over 10 years, over five years, over 
20 years, I can actually save and, and leave something for my future, for my kids in the future, for my family in the future, without worrying about this being worse than today, right? So I don't have the, I don't have the, the need to actually spend it or find a place to put it into investment and chase yield. Uh, when that yield is not really there. So I think the current, when, when you have a on, more honest, sound monetary system, the money that is not being going to be controlled by anyone and money that actually can store value. And you know that it can because it's coded in the system. It's being protected by not only the system, the technology, but the whole kind of uh, collection of community consensus. And it's very predictable then I know I can actually, if, when I earn something, I can put it something money aside and then I put some money aside for investment and then I spend it. And that money, the compounding power of money can be quite powerful so that even if I am not a billionaire millionaire to start with, I can still make sure that my family is having a good life and maybe I can invest wisely to make a fortune out of it. You know, that there is just a, uh, a more equal and open level field uh, for everyone, right? And and also the other thing is when the money is not inflated uh, intentionally by the government, then I don't have to go chase yield. Right now, when I think not only in US, but across the world, uh, we, we see the problem of over-financialization that starts from US, from the developed countries. And we are starting to see it in in some of the other developing countries like China, right? And I think one of the debate that the people are having is why, you know, should, is is the develop is the symbol of a being a uh, a good well developed country is the symbol being that you are a service heavy country, you are a financial sector heavy country, and then move manufacturing out to elsewhere. Is that the right trend? You know, we can debate anything about it, but the thing is, when the system is built in the current way, that is an inevitable direction. You know, people have to chase yield because everyone, we all know, I think, you know, 2020, I think the biggest issue for everyone, as long as we all have some money sitting around there, we'll have to scratch our head and ask ourselves, where do we put the money? There's nowhere we can put the money. And Rest sure that this money, a hundred dollar I put down, will still have that a hundred dollar purchasing power a year later. Nobody can say that, right? You put into real estate, you know, you know, we'll see. Fixed income probably not going to give you much. Uh, you're, we're lucky that we're not paying negative interest rate. Equity market maybe, but you know, there, you know, we're talking about gambling. Equity market is a big. There's a there's a lot of belief in in the price there because people. Equity market has always been a traditional, very good place for our people to store value when there is inflation expectation. But but still, you don't you never know because at at some point reality will catch up in even in equity market. So so it's really harsh. But but you you people have no choice. You have to find place to put yields to chase yield because there is this inflation expectation. And in two thousand twenty, there inflation. Ex- was 25% the monetary M- M2 supply increases, 25% increase. How are you going to find a, a investment that ha- will increase 25% in, in its fundamentals? It's just hard. 
And and when you think about people putting money into work, right? It will. It's natural that people will divert all the resources into financial markets because that's only that's the only place where you can actually get a high yield overnight. In in hard working area in entrepreneurship, technology innovation, manufacturing, there's no way you can get twenty five percent yield within a year. It takes time. It takes a lot of investment. There's a lot of Innovation will get you a lot, but there's also a possibility that you fail. So you have to wait that possibility. So it's very natural that resources go into financial institutions, go into the financial sector. It's it's natural that a lot of the talented people go to Wall Street, as what we've seen in U.S. and in China. That financial over-financialization is real, right? That risk is real. It is affecting it is affecting our society's uh, productivity, but I think Bitcoin can fix it because it takes away that anxiety for seeking yield, and then people can actually think about what they really want to invest in. Some people probably just choose to put the money aside and and do what they want. Some people probably want to invest in something more longer term instead of just chasing the artificial bubbles in the market. So it's my opinion, and maybe this is more anecdotal, but I think that most people, the average citizen, the average human, they just want cash. They just want something that they can save. You know, my fiance's dad, he doesn't want to invest. He wants, he just wants cash that works. And I think some of the, the specific subjects that you touched on are things that Bitcoiners, you know, really rally around, which is this idea of time preference, right? Like yeah. I need yield now, or I have the capital and ability in order to invest it for the long term, like that difference in how fiat money, you know, influences that. And the other thing is just capital allocation in general. And again, you know, that's kind of a microcosm of time preference to some degree. But, you know, you could argue in many different ways that we don't have a way to have, we can't have a free market without a, a appropriate way for individuals to allocate capital without being coerced, without some sort of untrue influence. I don't really have a question here. I'm just kind of trying to tease out some of these subjects that you're bringing up, but I really like your explanation. Yeah, I, I do think that price signal is, uh, is, is really important because again, the current price signal that we're seeing is not real price signal. Right? It, is a, uh, it is a nominal price signal that, that has already worked in that inflationary nature of the money that we have. So it's it's really hard when we look at what and, and also the the calculation of KPI can be very misleading. It doesn't really include increase in the in the assets, in hard assets, in in the financial assets. But in reality, you know, should those count? Of course they would, right? It's part, it's a, actually a major part of, of wealth. We'd, we talk about uh, boomers, you know, being probably a larger part, a larger sec- sector of the of a society having wealth, and then you know, Gen Z and and the younger generation are at the disadvantage. And why why is that? Because of this system setup, right? Because the younger generation, you don't really have anything to start with, and you only have you have you the only way that you can earn is to work hard and get salary where you become an entrepreneur and maybe uh, you, you you make something work and become rich one day. But but the successful engineers is only a small portion of the population. Most people have to work hard. And it, it's really hard if you just work hard and try to catch up with all the asset increases. 
when you don't have anything. You, you've got nothing to compound, right? <laughs> the, the, the boomers, uh, well, whoever ha- already have something, they, they have that compounding power of, of wealth is, is overwhelming. And, and, but, but as someone new into the system, you don't have anything to, to compound over and the money you earn can be deflated by at a rate that you cannot control. So, you know, the only thing you can do is probably go gambling or just go into the equity market, like what we've yeah. seen with Robinhood, right? That's the only way. That's the only way out. But but there's now a different way. Yeah, you, know, you can come actually to Bitcoin. You don't have to gamble. You just put some, you know, some amount and and uh, let let Bitcoin uh, works uh, works the magic for time. So, I mean, obviously, OKCoin offers a lot of different crypto assets, but you've made it a point to invest in Bitcoin, educate about Bitcoin and really highlight Bitcoin's importance to someone who doesn't know much about, you know, Bitcoin altcoins, this ecosystem. Why would you why would you kind of or how would you characterize Bitcoin? Why would you say that Bitcoin is special? And yeah, I guess pass it back to you. Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin is the digital I, the way I think about it, it is the uh, digital gold, but it's more than that. It is the digital internet money. Like when we talk about, and it is, it is a, a banking system. You know, you you basically put your money in. You don't have to worry about it, and it will just help you grow. That's how I would characterize it, right? It is people talk about exit price. Actually, again, I was having this conversation with Michael Saylor the other day. I was asking him about his exit strategy for Bitcoin. And he said, I have no exit strategy. I was like, yeah, that's right. And and yes, you know, people ask about what's your target price for Bitcoin. And we talk about, uh, you know, 100,000, we talk about a million, we talk about how many millions become rich. But but I think that ultimately the, the, the hope is that this can actually succeed as becoming the, the foundational layer. And we start talk, we stop asking about what is the target price for Bitcoin? Because at that point, Bitcoin will be the price for everything else. Stats will be the price for everything else, right? And that's yeah. why I, I feel pretty passionate. Um, and we at OKCoin also feel passionate about promoting, investing in this and promoting this. And, and hopefully more average people can start to see this and even if they don't fully understand just put a hundred dollar down you know and just put it there and forget about it and and maybe someday this will save you you never know but but we we do i do feel passionate about i think having more individuals coming in and and democratize the distribution of it because this is uh, this is the future you know it's it's going to be hard for our system to keep going down that path in the current system, because there's a lot of, I mean, there's, I've been talking about change of paradigm, right? The author of principle, he talked about change of paradigm a long time ago, even if he didn't like Bitcoin, but ultimately he actually turned around and started to say, okay, actually this probably is a alternative asset class, but it is more than that. You know, it is. You're talking about Ray Dalio. Yes. Yeah. Ray. Yeah. Um, Love that book. He's, he's yeah, put out some yeah, great stuff. It's a, it's a great book. I I couldn't. I don't. I don't understand why he haven't fully opened it up yet. But I guess everyone has a process. But but I I do think that this is, you know, this is a way out because if we keep going down this current path, that division is going to be deeper and deeper, and the you know the society will be more and more reliant on government because government has this tool, and 
our government, most of the governments in, in the world is heavily leveraged. And I just don't see any way out of it, right? For US government, 25%. Like, how are you going to get out of it? There is no way except for inflation and tax. And those two, I just don't think the government is the most efficient user of capital in the world, period. And it, we, a fact. Only, yeah, we can only benefit when that decision is back to every individual and we make that decision on an individual sovereign basis. And we don't, don't go down that path of social division and, and even war. I think more than one people have cautioned about this change of paradigm and we are on a very dangerous uh, verge and, and rightly so. But how can we change it without changing the found, f- foundational layer? There's just no way of doing it. And for every one of us individual, like we probably are not, we're not in the position to decide what comes next. But I think there is a place for every one of us to say, okay, if I want to take care of myself, take care of my family, make sure that we have the purchasing power, our hard-earned money is protected, right? And that purchasing power is protected. At least I put some money down in Bitcoin. And it's a call option, you know, to a different future. Uh, if you're not a hard believer, it's a call option. And, and, and it can be a, a totally different thing if it turns out, uh, hopefully a much better future. So we've gone almost 45 minutes and we haven't talked about OKCoin yet. I think this is a great place to transition into that. But before we do, would you mind explaining what a call option is to the listeners who might not know what that, that is from a uh, trading's perspective? Oh, yeah, sure. A call option is that basically you pay a nominal amount upfront, and then you, you believe that something good will happen in the future, you pay a very nominal amount upfront. If it doesn't happen, everything you lose is that nominal amount you pay upfront. But it does ha- if it does happen, actually, it's, you know, it's, it's a huge payout day when it does happen. So there's a huge upside and, and the very limited downside. Gotcha. Asymmetric risk profile of buying Bitcoin is huge. And yeah, a call option is a great way to describe it. So um, Hong, let's let's transition into OKCoin. Yesterday during the, the clubhouse, you and your team, you know, were describing, you know, a different approach, an approach that is less focused on traders and more focused on helping, you know, everyday people who are waking up to the system, waking up to Bitcoin get exposure and and onboard. Can you talk a little bit about Bitcoin adoption and OKCoin's role in that, in facilitating that? Yeah, sure. We, as a platform, our hope is that we can play an important role to help people onboard into Bitcoin and into any other crypto uh, assets they want to. And to do that, I think there are a couple of different important things to accomplish, right? First of all, we are not living a crypto-only world. That's just reality. And we just have to embrace that. And a lot of people don't even know what Bitcoin is and what crypto is. We are living in a world where there are central banks, there are regulators, uh, there are a lot of regulatory requirements and compliance, and there are banking infrastructure, et cetera. And that's just reality too. So I think it's important that we, we embrace that reality and, and, and try to build the bridge to connect the two worlds and make it easy for people to go from one to another. 
And that's what we've been doing. Uh, we're building uh, banking infrastructure. We're building payments infrastructure, adding ACH credit cards, uh, debit cards, and different SEPA in Europe, adding payment infrastructure in, in different parts of the world. So we're working on that. I think that is the number one uh, important uh, aspect of doing it. For I'm talking about general audience, not the not geeks and and uh, who only you know uh, do Bitcoin by mining and setting up their own nodes, right? Uh, I'm talking about a larger population. I'm not even and, in that group. I mean, I set I set up my own node, but I, I can't mine for sure, and I'm definitely a buyer. And and it's about setting things up easily for people to do. A recurring buy, right? You know, I think the best way of, you know, Bitcoin is the future, but Bitcoin is very volatile because it's a growing, it's a growing thing and it got to be volatile in that process. So I think for average people, including myself, there's no way to predict the market. You cannot time the market, right? So I think the best way of accumulating stats, accumulating Bitcoin is really to do uh, average dollar cost. Um, you just keep buying it. You set a schedule to do it uh, every month, every day, every week, and you know, just just like your savings account. And that's what we have been offering our customer. We do have a recurring buy that can help people set sets at dip, right? Buy at dip. You don't have to intend. You can intentionally buy dip disproportionately, but you won't be able to know when is the dip before the dip came uh, comes. So we do have that functionality. We'll probably enhance that to 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 really make it easy for people to use and 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 uh, accumulate stats. We are also actually, you know, we're building the platform to to help layer two solutions as well, including Lightning, so people can actually transfer Bitcoin at a lower price when the Bitcoin price keep go going up. I would encourage people when you start to get to a certain amount of Bitcoin or any other crypto assets, get your own cold wallet. Uh, custody it for yourself. So Lightning can, for in Bitcoin's case, can help reduce that transaction fee for a small amount. I think I know that some people would like to continue to buy a small amount and immediately transfer it out, uh, which is you know totally fine. Uh, so we're enabling that. We have STX listed stacks, which is a second layer protocol trying to build smart contract on top of Bitcoin. And you know the interesting thing that they do is that they allow people to stack their STX and earn Bitcoin. And again, that's a great way of stacking Bitcoin, and you know I do that myself as well. Not a, not a, a promote that, but but I think it's a great thing to do, right? You put stacks in in there, help them build the protocol, build the 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 layer while you earn Bitcoin yourself. You know, I, I think that's great. So we're trying to do different things to to try to kind of help people understand, help people earn some yields help people accumulate a little bit more uh, stats before this kind of you know, more people, more institutions come in. It's great to see all the you know uh, companies buying uh, Bitcoin, all the institutions buying Bitcoin. But my concern is that you know if, if that happens too quick, this will be too much for average people to afford. And I would rather have more people coming in now or as soon as possible before it goes up too too fast. Yeah, the people need to front run the institutions and Bitcoin's probably the first chance in history for them to do so. A lot of people do, right? They have. And and we just need to encourage what, you know, I think you guys are doing a great job promoting Bitcoin and a lot of other podcasters are doing that as well. You know, it's important that educational and marketing efforts are important 
to, to let everyone, individuals, get to know about this and be educated. Again, I think the education is the biggest hurdle. It is the biggest hurdle. But once you cross that chasm, you know what's happening and, and you start a, a lot of people just fall down into the rabbit hole, right? That's, that's the yep, beauty that- of it. And that, that's the kind of colloquial terminology as well, just because there's so much to it. Like Bitcoin is deep. I think a lot of people who don't haven't looked at Bitcoin don't realize how deep Bitcoin is. Hong, this is my last question for you, but I kind of want to circle back to this idea of, you know, Bitcoin is fixing a broken system. And I'm curious what your perspective is on what a Bitcoin future looks like. And I know that's a pretty big question, but I feel like you've kind of been hinting at it a little bit. And I, I, I can imagine you have a vision in your head of a fairer future that you're building towards. Yeah, I think there are, I like talk, talking about future, but, but and I, because I think that's what drives us, most of us here, right? We are here because we believe in something and we're passionate about doing something that is actually not tangentially changing things, but but really reinventing, rewire the whole society, the whole system, and giving everyone a new start and fixing everything. And I, I do see that a lot of people use, okay, Bitcoin fix this, Bitcoin fix this. <laughs> Bitcoin fixes everything. I don't think Bitcoin can fix everything, but it can fix a lot of the fundamental questions, the problems we have in the system. And I think in the, in, uh, in the future, there can be two, I don't know, there can be two different versions of Bitcoin future. The, the best ideal version of Bitcoin future is that you have this Bitcoin layer on the bottom. Everything that we see today in society, in, in financial system, in kind of the internet is built on top of it. And every other, you know, different, different, nowadays we have companies, right? Twitter, Facebook, uh, Google, in the future, and we have governments, we have countries. In the future, there are no companies, there are no governments, countries. They're just token economies building on top of it. And each one of them have interoperability with each other and with Bitcoin so that every one of that token, utility token whatsoever that is, is priced in Bitcoin, in sats. And and, and, and we all earn what we contribute. You know, there is sort, certain certain sort of proof of work that that happens there. That, I think that is kind of the optimal long-term future that may happen, but 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 there is a long way to go there. So so I think there may be different shades of future and and a more probably a more realistic future, not totally ideal, but we'll see is that the Bitcoin layer is still there, monetary layer is still there. Uh, we probably don't have that technological breakthrough to be able to rebuild everything on top of it but maybe some of some of our society on top of it and and that 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 part including some there may be some legacy fiat part on top of it too but fiat will be packed to bitcoin uh, be, be expressed into bitcoin and then people can actually see which government which is central bank is more disciplined and and that will be very quickly reflected in in their relative price to sats and governments will become will have to become more disciplined because otherwise people can vote with their feet people can vote with their money and i think that's a good thing right and that's ultimately what we want we want to have a more disciplined disciplinary uh, system in place so that the resources can actually be allocated and used by those who are most efficient in using them 
but not by the big central allocator that will continue to grow and grow and grow. They don't even know how to put their own housing place and have a lot of the debt deficit out there. And they talk about each one of us being scored on a credit card. So I think there, there's that potential future. And, and obviously, there is another side of the future, which I think we're probably trying to stay away from, which is the worst case of two worlds uh, where you have censorship, all transparency on chain, uh, all the digital money on chain, and then still central planning for monetary. Uh, so hopefully that doesn't happen, but, but hopefully the other two versions somehow happens down the road. Yeah, we'll definitely want to avoid some sort of like complete dominance of central bank digital currencies. You know, blockchain tech can, you know, it's a tool for mass, you know, mass surveillance, having this transparent ledger. But, you know, if it's used incorrectly, if it's used by central planners, it can be very powerful for them. But it also enables free market money backed by incentives and backed by, you know, in Bitcoin's case, proof of work and, and other aspects of the actual network. Hong, this was a really great conversation. Once again, you know, I really love how you kind of explained and tease out these complex things that are happening within our society, within the global economy. And, you know, I'm really glad that you're leading OKCoin. So um, I guess just to close out the conversation, you know, want to give you an opportunity to give your last word to the audience and plug where people can find you. Sure. Yeah, I think we are li- living in a very interesting time. We it's it's a it's a once in a lifetime opportunity, right, for us to work together. And Bit- what is beautiful about Bitcoin is that this is a community movement, and and I think for every one of us, we we need to do our own uh, ourselves a uh, kind of service by educating ourselves. And and even you know for every one of us, for myself included, I, I have still a lot to learn about Bitcoin. And I think that's the beauty of the community. A lot of people are very passionate about it and they want to share their knowledge about this. So uh, let's continue doing this. And I would love to be able to lead our platform, OKCoin, to, to really help and contribute in, in that journey. And thank you everyone for your support. And you can find me on Twitter at H-F-A-N-G-C-A. My DM is open. Thank you. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for the for the amazing work translating Bitcoin, making it available to all of the audience. Go check out Hong on Twitter. Go check her out on Clubhouse. I'm sure she's going to continue to spread knowledge there. And go check her out on the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. So I know you may be watching this on Twitter. You may be watching this on YouTube. Go subscribe to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. Give us those five-star reviews. And yeah, share this podcast out. I think it was a really great one. Peace. Peace. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.